my inventors. cheese sausage burrito a la Jules Fietti right inside so we got the beans we got the cheese we have that beautiful sausage the salsa the peppers the onions is it hot yeah <laughs> you're gonna have to let it wait so take a look at this you guys look at the cheese just melting out and look at all the cheese inside that sausage and the great thing about this is the kids made it themselves all right great job you want to take it take a bite Nothing's smoking hot. So hot. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. In this series, we're learning all about houseplants. And in this segment, we're going to talk about the common mistakes that people make with their houseplants. The number one mistake that people make with their houseplants is overwatering them and letting them sit in water. You have to remember that in nature, it rains plants dry out, and then it rains again. So the plants really need a time when they're actually drying out. So if they're sitting in water all the time, they'll eventually rot and you will lose them. And now, here's an exclusive first look at GSN's original new series, Steampunk. These 10 designers will compete to turn an ordinary home into a steampunk masterpiece. It's a game of blood, sweat, what I'm looking for in these makers, somebody that can really become an ambassador for the steampunk community. You bring the good work, I will judge it as good work. If you bring the bad work, I will crush your soul. Crush your soul. Crush your soul. Cash me outside. Democrats love to trust polls. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject podcast, you houseplant hoarding screedlers. This is Staff Only, the studio manager. Boy, oh boy. I just love working every single week to bring you the best interviews with contemporary artists and comedians. Does it brighten your week? I bet it does. If so, perhaps you'll consider supporting Humor and the Abject on Drip, 
It's a new platform from Kickstarter where you can make a very small monthly payment to support ongoing projects that you love. Check out the link in the episode description, or head over to d.rip slash humor and the abject. Support the motherfucking arts. What an episode we have got for you today. It's such a banger that I can't believe it. Besides our awesome founding subscribers on Drip, this week's episode is brought to you by things that are objectively not that bad, but are made practically insufferable by the people who like them. Maybe you caught a few in the intro? Anyways, let's get to chewing. It's time to turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 28 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I, as always, am your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Uh, on last week's episode with Chloe Wise, I mentioned that there would be a way very soon for you to directly support the podcast and my writing about contemporary art and comedy on the Humor and the Abject website. And I am very happy to say that Humor and the Abject is one of the invited and featured creators on Kickstarter's new subscription service called Drip. Uh, anybody can support a Drip profile, and the nice thing is that if you've already backed projects on Kickstarter, you don't even have to create a new account. Uh, I'm asking that people who like what I've been doing these past six months toss in just five bucks per month. Uh, it'll make the podcast and the website more sustainable, and you'll be doing this Screedler a major solid. Uh, that is less than the price of one beer at the bar. You know what I mean? Subscribers are going to get exclusive access to drip-only content from Humor in the Abject, which will include bonus podcast episodes, video content, writing, uh, extra special Infinite Hesh comics by Thomas Gamble. I will also be able to kick Thomas Gamble some money for making those that you all enjoy so much. Uh, and subscribers will also get early free tickets to upcoming live episodes. Uh, so if you like what I have been doing, please consider subscribing to Humor and the Abject on Drip. I will put a link in the episode description. Uh, there's a small window of time left when you will be forever honored as a founding Screedler if you sign up in that in that window of time. Uh, that's somebody who believed in Humor in the Abject right from the start. You were here with me, baby. But uh, you got to get in there early to get that honor. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, my guest this week is artist Andrew Ross, whom I had the privilege of writing a first look profile on for Art in America back in October. Uh, instead of reading his bio, I'm just going to read some of what I wrote about him in that piece. <clears throat> in Andrew Ross's sculpture, Hearts Alex Jones from 2016, the uh, I should note the, the heart is like a heart emoticon, it's like the carrot, three apostrophe S. Uh, in Andrew Ross's sculpture, Hearts Alec Jones from 2016, the purple skin of an unidentified reptile hangs over a welded metal frame. Sporting a goofy black helmet, it's posed so as to forever wave hello. Ross's titular reference to the far-right radio host stems from a fascination with what the artist calls a, quote, post-fact world. For the online conspiracy theorist, the religious fundamentalist, and other personalities that were once on the fringe but have now become mainstream, perception is reality. Drawing aesthetic and conceptual influences from science fiction and horror, Ross conveys the essence of our disturbing new public discourse through sculptures composed of clothing, lumber, 
clay, and 3D printed plastic. They're rough and tactile, but equally airy, slick, and whimsical. Okay, what I'm trying to say here is that Andrew Ross is uh, an amazing artist. Everybody loves him. Uh, his stuff is super out there. Really fun, really funny, really disturbing, uh, poppy, colorful, all, all these great things. Uh, I'm really excited to have him in here today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Andrew Ross. Andrew Ross, welcome to Humor in the Abject. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How's your week going? Uh, pretty good. Not much going on. Just uh, I just moved to a new space that's actually really close to here. At studio the end space? Of point I have. Studio and live. Live Ooh. work. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just building that out while I like take care of some work. I just had a lot of uh, work from like installation pieces from different shows shipped to me return all at the same time yeah i mean it was like two weeks of like every couple of days i'd get a giant object and then and now like my new studio is completely filled but it has really high ceilings so i have to build a like loft area yeah. to house them soon yeah so yeah just been working on that the the classic live slash workspace how romantic yeah. yeah, this is this is the ideal. This is what I thought live work would be when I moved to New York. Just big windows. I've somehow I found it. No, it's Oops, not sorry. quite like okay. the movie Big. You know, with Tom oh, Hanks, no. which was my actual. Uh, you know, that's that was my dream when I first saw that movie. Like I would move to New York and like have a giant loft with big windows. It's not that, but it's a big, pretty big warehouse type building, yeah. and. Um, it's it's nice because there's it's just me and three other people, t uh, two of which use it as studios, and one uh, uses it as a live work as well. Nice. Yeah, that's very cool. I'm trying to remember what the oh is it a. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie that has uh, the guy's wife is cheating on him with a painter who like lives in Greenpoint and lives in this like studio and has like a very kind of, I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow. And, uh, mm. what's the actor's name from falling down? Michael. I don't know. Oh, well, this is what matter. I, I he has a beautiful, beautiful loft apartment that I always, never get. I always wanted to, uh, I always wanted to live in something like that. Mm. But, uh, so let's talk about this work that's coming back. It's from, oh, yeah. you had, uh, correct me if I'm right, you had three solo shows this year? Indeed. So, yeah, <laughs> not something I should, like, boast that anything's coming back. But <laughs> Oh, well, I didn't think of it that way. I, I know you didn't, it. and I also didn't mind saying it that way, because <laughs> a lot of them are, like, huge installations and, like, what <laughs> is going to happen to that. I did have three solo shows this year. One of them, uh, all the work is uh, in Milan. It's still abroad where the show was. Uh and the other two were in New York, one in Long Island City, one in Chelsea. And, um, yeah, so I have some some from those two back in my studio. Plus, uh, I just moved from the Bruce space and from another residency I did this summer upstate. So I've had things from all over come come to me. <laughs> You're like a magnet. Everything's coming back. Yeah. Um, so the show that you just did at American Medium, uh, Iceman Returns, is that mm -hmm. the name of it, correct? Who is the Iceman and where was he? 
I am the Iceman. You are the Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually, uh, that's a reference to another thing that also had a reference to the play, Iceman Returns. So it's not a direct reference to the play. It's a direct reference to another play, which I played in, uh, where I was, I played the role of a character called the Iceman, who... You're an actor? Only only once. I did not know that about yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, it was for my friend Max and Calla's, um, my friends, Max uh, Pitagoff and Calla Henkel. They run, or they used to run, it was supposed to be their last play, a theater in Berlin called New Theater, where they have artists uh, act in plays. And so they're not really good actors. <coughs> and uh, they had one here that was at the Whitney. It was in their... A new theater for a new theater. And, uh, and anyway, so they asked me to, to be in it. I think they were originally thinking I would like uh, help build sets because they also had friends build sets. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had just, this was literally right after my show at Signal. And I met with them there and, and they're, you know, they took a look around. They're like, yeah, you probably don't want to build anything anymore. You've built enough. Like <laughs> maybe you can act. Ooh. So then they gave me the role of the Iceman. Yeah. Which was Good a... Good guy, bad guy? He was just like a catalyst. He just said what, what needed to be said to like get the play to move on. Okay. Basically, the play was set in a bar. It was basically like it was New Theater as a play. New Theater was also a bar in Berlin uh, that they were in. So like everyone in the bar was a regular and they were having a talent show. And uh, so everyone was kind of not they were jaded about looking at each other's talents because they all knew each other really well and uh the ice man was just oh, the guy like, that brings ice to oh, the bar okay barback the yeah well i like i hired ice man because they i think part of the idea was they didn't they didn't own a freezer so they would own they would have their ice fresh ice yeah fresh ice delivered and when the ice was melted like that's it <laughs> they were running out of money too so like that was it Anyway, so the ice man comes to deliver the ice, and he stays, and oh, sorry, and he stays, and he um, uh, ends up watching the talent show. So he's kind of like the only audience member that uh, isn't a friend. Mm. And um, and so you just stole their I character stole to name character. your show. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You were, you played the the character though, so I feel like you have a little bit of ownership over it. Yeah, <laughs> but when we talked uh, before. I got to write that piece about you for Art in America. Um, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> oh, well, dude, it was a pleasure. Um, and so that was the first show at American Medium's New Space in Chelsea. And Indeed. Was that intimidating? It was. Coming it was super intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you have to pretend like it wasn't? Uh, I mean, I always pretend like it isn't. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I really wanted it to, to resonate with what they have become known for um which is which has something to do with technology and art mm -hmm. uh i i'd say maybe it's like um i don't know it's like post internet art but uh more of a more of more like i beams kind of like Mm -hmm. net of like you know people who use technology to to make something um 
new and unexpected or, or whatever, you know, like reverse engineer. Things. Do you feel is that what you were doing with? Um, I think that's what they expected I would do, and uh, and that's why I was asked to do it. But also, like, I think I mean, no, I think that's that's an oversimplification. I think they they knew that they were asking a sculptor who also was interested in what they had shown before. Okay, to do what I already do, which is make weird ass things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. Um, I think what the way in which that I fit in or is that um, my work is is dealing with images that circulate on the internet, uh, even though it's not always just images. So, um, yeah, I think if you, I think you can you can see where, even though I'm making objects, there's uh, yeah, they're really about images and and they're like about a sentiment that i've found online basically and you have an interest in sort of the i don't know if that did that play into this show as much too but in the past we've talked about you've got this interest in these kind of fringe subcultures or weird pockets of the internet and things like that um would you say that that fed into some of the work in this new show or is that kind of something that isn't necessarily part of your studio kit right now um well, I'm trying to become less dependent on um, on finding on like finding a specific subculture. I do think that that's that's part of that idea is part of the uh, kind of work that American Medium has shown before, at least in my in my understanding, um, which is which is limited. But I think that there's something about posts internet art that like that uses like groups of people that you might be kind of disconnected from Mm -hmm. but you see on the internet as like a as a jump off point um anyway and i feel like you know like furries are like a big one Mm -hmm. that come come up a lot right (laughs) like that's that's just one example i think that's the only example i'm gonna use (laughs) but uh but well, you have a lot of science fiction and horror yeah. in the stuff too, right? I mean, yeah. this show had some pretty wild stuff in it. Do you want to talk a little bit about where these, I guess, characters, for lack of a better word, come from? Um, I mean, particularly there's the that one image was really, well, not image, that piece, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people encountered it on Instagram or other places, but of the kind of like, I don't know, like warrior kind of figure or uh-huh. something was very like, who is that? Well, <laughs> uh it's nobody because <laughs> I uh, I have I don't know I'm a I'm a uh, more classic sculptor I guess because I like I like this idea of making a formal decision match like a an idea idea or more like political decision so. You know, this, so at the same time, like, I I went to a, a party the other day, and somebody came up to me, and they were like, I really liked your show. Like, I really liked that piece in particular, mm-hmm. the the armored person. Great. I picked and, the obvious one. <laughs> no, but – and then they were like – they said, I really like art with a message, which I think is great, but it also kind of made me sad because I was like, okay, I think you're – I think you're missing the point. I don't want to be – 
like known for my message because there was no message in that piece. I mean, the the what was that piece was hinging on, and what 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 would have made it a failure is if it made people angry because it was a depiction of something bad. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what? It, what was the message that uh, they were that they were drawing out of it? I think what they were drawing was like, look at how stupid uh, this image of aggression looks, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I guess, and that was kind of the, what the piece projects at first. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's part of what's there, uh, definitely. But then formally it's about the mismatch of the, the face and the, and the body armor that the face is, is coming from the center and not from the head. And, um, so there's something else in there. I mean, that's. I guess that doesn't erase anything about the message, but. Um, well, it seems like you're interested as a sculptor in kind of a really almost like nerdy traditional sculpture approach, which is that you think formally about things and you're taking cues from things that exist in real life, but turning them into art objects. And um, admittedly, some of them are going to be sort of charged. Like I'm guessing that person thought that was like supposed to be a depiction of like a riot cop or like a or and it some, is yeah it is but the reason but you're why... trying to do what like what what's your gesture do when you pull when you're moving the face you're pulling out the different parts of the body because i've heard you talk about hollowness before too and mm-hmm. i and i didn't know if like are you just sort of like meaning to highlight the kind of formal qualities of this like of authority or or is it just a genuine interest in like hmm, this looks i mean it could be as simple as this looks pretty cool Huh. Uh, well, I mean, within the context of the rest of the show, it's not, you know, it's not just about authority. I mean, that maybe that piece is, but you see that there are other works in the show that are doing similar things. So there's a variety there. So there's like a, there's an expression of that is like the sum of the, of the formal qualities of, of all of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think because you the, think of it as a body of work, not a bunch of discrete pieces yeah, that you I just sort so. of like. It it is a gesture. It's an installation. It's you made it all at the same time, and it they're in conversation with one another. It's not some like arbitrary curatorial decision that we need to have X number of floor pieces and X number of whatever. It's, I like that a piece can can live on in other people's minds in different ways, mm-hmm. and I think that they're provocative in a sense. Uh, where where that does create this confusion, and I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to re- prescribe how anyone should feel about it. So like I, I re- I like that that guy had that that uh, response that he, there was a message to it. Uh, well, there's a lot then, of vagueness in I think much of your work. Exactly, that, that's uh, part of its allure. I would imagine. I mean, that's where I kind of see the bits of maybe cosmic horror being in them because it's this sort of there's an otherworldly thing that i don't necessarily understand and instead of providing i think even the thing that i was writing you're not really giving a narrative or um you're giving just enough clues for somebody to kind of start to cook something up themselves but you are not telling people that like like for instance the um the show that you had at false flag holes Mm -hmm. that had that piece that is um it's on like a big flat plinth and it's kind of like a garden area, mm-hmm. right? And it's got this 
gardener's legs or like his uh, overalls. And he's like, it was of, just legs and, uh, and boots, rubber boots. Yeah, and he's sort of towering over this garden, but the garden is all fucked up and weird, and it's growing all of these uh, are they sunflowers with Neil deGrasse Tyson's face on them. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so I mean, there's, but there's this kind of like otherworldly, like weirdness. And I imagine that perhaps part of what's great uh, and captivating for audiences about the work is that you don't reveal exactly what's going on. That show also had that big dead mole, right? Yeah. Which is just like, what the fuck? Well, something to note about that. I mean, just you, you mentioned the detail of, of the, the pants that are the like landowner's pants or whatever. In the on the platform, it's also wearing rubber boots, and the sculpture that you mentioned before in in America, the American Medium show, uh, is wearing the same kind of rubber. Are boots. Are they those Hunter? Is that what the brand? They're just is? rain. Boots. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the brand was Hunter. Actually. Yeah, just the kind um, of everyday like. Yeah, I we just bought them right galoshes. before the show. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out just to be like you know there is a. There's just like a there is a formal thing that I'm exploring that I know it's just like rain boots, but it's like no, well, the rain boots are like blocks of black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And in one context, they're very much like oh, this is like the landowner, the gardener. The these are mm-hmm. labor boots, and in the other one, they become part of this protective shielding that's on it. It's really just about the context shift, but the same material type of thing. Yeah, and I think that's some of those links that go between the stuff is what's sort of fun trying to connect the dots in your work mm-hmm. because it's like. Um, I mean, I think I asked you a little bit about that piece. I was trying to work it into uh, the writing, but it ended up just getting chopped because of space constraints. But I was trying to figure out if, like, the Neil deGrasse Tyson flowers had invaded this garden and the landowner was pissed. But then I was kind of excited because, like, fuck people who own land. And all, <laughs> there's, like, a lot of personal things that come into it, even though it's just, like, frankly, totally bizarre. But you know, I imagine it's funny. That, yeah, go ahead. I, like, didn't think that there you know because i i i thought that part of my work was to to create all the conditions of a narrative but then not to ever decide what the narrative was right i thought that that was the case for me and then i i made that show and it was down to the wire like i literally finished the show like 30 minutes after the opening started uh-huh. no joke and uh so and i remember so i like made it and i was really tired so i just went and sat like off out of the gallery, so no one would see me. At American Medium? No, or no at, at, at False Because you looked pretty rugged at the American oh, Medium yeah. opening, too. I was too. even more tired <laughs> then. But anyway, so I'm sitting, I, I'm waiting outside. I finally go back inside, and I'm, like, finally, like, looking at it with, like, a like a few minutes yeah, distance. Yeah. And um, and I'm talking to, to somebody, and I was, like, and they asked me, like, what's happening here? And then I look at it, and I'm, like, you know, so a landowner walks into his garden and he sees that it's riddled with holes and Neil deGrasse Tyson is the only witness and he's seen what what's happened and he's not sure if you should tell the landowner or not. <laughs> but we know that it's either the guy in the other room contemplating an apple or it's the mole mm-hmm. in the other room that riddled, that made the <laughs> space filled with holes. And anyway, and I like, I just said it to this person <laughs> But that's basically what's happening. <laughs> no, no, that's I don't really. Yeah, no, you don't need to show your cards. I mean, I think that's 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 part of what's fun about it is that you do make this work that's very sort of has a lot of uh, character elements to it, but it it's just very bizarre, and that's sort of I think what keeps people 
really looking at it is you want to find the connection, uh, the connections rather, because the things appear to have some kind of string between all of them. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't, you're doing the right amount where people can start to get there. Um, Maybe the next step is to actually know what's happening for me. I mean, yeah. Well, you could uh, you <laughs> yeah. could always figure it out and then keep it yourself if you don't want to fucking yeah, share it. You know? true. What about you told me, too, for the show at American Medium that you were kind of um, and this was months ago, so maybe it sort of fell by the wayside. But you had gotten this kind of fascination going with the sort of slapstick and um, I think, did you call it corporeal tragedy of mm-hmm. uh, like Get Out, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Thing, things like this. Is, did that find its way into the show ultimately? Or was that just somewhere where you were at when we were speaking? Because, you know, when you write those things, you start the draft uh five months before they come out. Yeah, I was hoping you would ask me that, actually. Because I remember (laughs) using that phrase, and like I thought, that's a weird phrase. He's definitely going to ask me about that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The corporeal tragedy of those things? Yes. Yeah. But I think Uh, it's really fascinating, because there's, I mean, that's so much of your work is about the body. And I remember when I was writing that, and I was trying to make these connections, and I was like trying to shove... I was like, what the fuck does Ross's work mean? And I was like trying to like <laughs> tease out of that something. And I think I, you know, I think I came to it like a, a good conclusion, but that's my conclusion. It's not yours. So I'm just yeah. curious where that uh I mean, obviously the fascination comes from the the reason anybody's fascinated yeah. with those movies is it's terrifying, it's sometimes it's funny, it's yeah. gory, it's these other things. But Well, I wanna give a two part answer to that. Okay. So part the first one. part will be just about the American medium show. Okay. Uh which is that I wanted the the sculptures to be, and I don't know if this is success, successful, but I, I'll just say this so that we all know that like I was actually planning something. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted the show to be <laughs> a series of sculptures that were all sites for other for other figures within the sculptures that are smaller. Okay. So they're sites for other sculptures in a sense, but this this other sculptures are little entities, and. So then the question for me was, what happened? What do those little entities do? Which might to some people sound like a little bit of a cop-out. Like, how can you decide after what they're doing? I mean, shouldn't you, shouldn't you know beforehand? Otherwise, what's the point in making the thing? But it's really like, it's the, it's the middle point. It's that like the site and, and the event kind of congealing that is the sculpture. You yeah. know, that's. The middle point in there is what you're trying to get. And um, so I started, have, I started to have a kind of debate with myself about what is an event. Like what is a thing that these entities do that, that they're stuck in that moment of? Like what is it that, you know, why is this not an animation? Why is this not a video? Like what is it that these characters have to be stuck doing mm-hmm. and because it's sort it's like uh, a moment that is made like immemorial like yeah. it's just yeah that is that that is where they exist yeah and um so the i so the idea of the event was was a was a big question for the pieces and i ended up kind of deleting that from the equation by using steel wool mm-hmm. because then like the construction became the event because the steel wool is so expressive and so cartoony that like, cause I was trying to distill the characters down to, you know, like if I can make them all 
you know, have their own facial expression. And if there were two and one and, you know, they were pointing at each other, you could read like a sort of narrative in there. But with the steel wool and the plastic, the uh, whatever I did was art was had like felt like narr- narrativized. Um, anyway, I used I used the word tragedy. Uh, and I referenced those those uh, body snatchers movies um, with you because I was thinking about tragedy as an event. Um, and this is, I don't know, you know, I was, I guess I was just thinking about that phrase because it's been interesting for, for me for many years. And I actually think this is partially why I fit into the American media, uh, American medium like scheme because I've been interested when, like I said, that like my work is is often about images. I've been interested in this kind of like predictive um, aspect of social media. Like, predictive I remember, in what sense? Like I remember a w- long time ago, uh, I made a sculpture about Facebook, and it was like, and nobody liked it at the time, mm-hmm. but uh, and that's because. It was too much about something and not its own thing. But uh, it was about, like, a photo that my sister posted of her and her friends. And there were three of them, three three of friends. And they were kind of, like, all fanned out from the corner of the photo. Uh, I don't know how to – they were, like, fanned out and they all had the same expression on. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy – off to the side who wasn't part of the kind of scheme that they had created for the photo who was cropped out. And I remember being like, this is, this is amazing. Cause like, it's like the, the photo, everyone anticipated the photo mm-hmm. except, and the guy who didn't anticipate it has been cropped. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, I don't know, made me think of like Macbeth. Do you mean it, like, teaches us uh, behavior or anticipations for, like, the way that something is going to be, uh, let's say, like, an image, it becomes distributed through means that we already understand, and so we're kind of acting out beforehand, like, what we expect to see on social media? Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're acting out what we're we're expecting to see. Like, we go out. We're expecting to be photographed. Uh, I mean, it's subsided. Like, this isn't really, like, about social media anymore. Like, I think it's, like, abstracted because social media is, like, so pervasive. It's, like, mm-hmm. everything. But, um, but you know, but like, back then, like, when I was making this piece about this photo, uh, it was didn't feel so... Uh, everywhere, so like, um, it felt more like meaningful to me. But um, yeah, I think that the the like photographic medium and has had like, and social media had like infiltrated their lives so much that. Uh, you know, it predicted it, it predicted by setting up what they were supposed to do, which to me was like 
Which was the, the setup of Macbeth. Okay. It was like, or like Oedipus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, there's a prediction that actually like creates the outcome. Sure. Yeah. And, no, um, I follow. But yeah. how, how does that relate to like, um, how is that a corporeal tragedy or related to that? Yeah. No, I mean, I guess those are two different ideas. I'm like talking about two things that were like two thoughts, like years apart. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I talked about corporeal tragedy, I I think like I had just come to the conclusion that um, that I didn't need to make the steel wire figures, steel wool figures into something into like little vignettes of like tiny narratives and that just simply that they were inhabiting another space Mm -hmm. was enough of a story uh, and like was like a kind of tragedy and yeah and I was relating it to the to the body snatchers movies (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break and I'll be right back with more Andrew Ross steampunk the Death Tones, Bacon, Diners, Donuts, Cupcakes, The Clash, Drive-Ins, The City of Paris, Anime, House Plans, Cats, Dives, Craft Beers, Yoga, Whiskey, Brunch, Tim Burton, Records, Slow Food, Arduino. All of this that and 
Is that a lifelong thing or is it something that you primarily are borrowing from because of the aesthetics and that they fit into what you're trying to make? Or is it just, were you a sci-fi nerd who eventually became an artist or are you an artist who just recognizes things in science fiction and horror that are copacetic with the kind of way that you want to make work? Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately, I, I can't, I can't call myself a nerd because every time I do, then I'm like in the room with somebody who knows more stuff about the <laughs> the topic than I do. But um, I watch a lot of horror movies. Mm -hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's a fan. A, we'll I, call you a fan. I'm a fan. I'm yeah. a big fan. Like I'll watch any horror movie. Yeah, it doesn't matter what. <laughs> um, do you like like torture porn movies? Okay, I don't. I don't like torture porn that much. I. I like the idea of it sometimes. Like I was really excited about that movie Green Inferno that came out. Like I don't know it. Oh, cool! Finally, <laughs> it came out like two years ago. It was by Eli Roth, same person who made Hostel. Oh yeah, Hostel. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he is. <laughs> um, I was so super excited about that movie because it was like so confusing. Like apparently, it was basically like a remake of. Oh, is it the? Uh, it's about Holocaust. the. Uh, they go into like the Amazon or something. Yeah. Okay, I do know and what that is. I, I had read an interview that he like actually went to a tribe in the Amazon that hadn't seen any technology, and like used them as as the actors, and like traded them uh, in exchange for their acting. Act he gave them like tin roofs for their for their homes and. Uh, Anyway, so I just remember hearing about that, and I was like, I have to see this. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's was so... Was that true? I don't know. <laughs> there was... I read an interview about it. I don't know if it was a reputable source, but... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, like, really interested in those kind of, like, ethic, ethically questionable ideas, not just, like, with movies, but, like, you know, another thing that I saw that I found really interesting was the show at Sculpture Center... Last year, I took my class at Bruce to it. It was... Um, Renzo Martins? Yeah, I took my class there because, I don't know, related to the topic of the class. But anyway... Um, was the show ethnic... Uh, ethnically? <laughs> uh, ethically? Ethically confusing. questionable? Yeah, just like How's the that? Eli Roth thing. Because, like, I mean, some people might say, maybe there was nothing wrong with Green Inferno because, you know, he didn't take anything from them. He only gave to them, but I mean, maybe by giving he took, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's a similar, this chocolate sculpture show was like a similar deal. Like basically these were, he had people who picked cocoa beans, uh, make sculptures out of chocolate, essentially. Hmm. They made it out of clay and then they had a 3D scan and then remade in chocolate later. Um, and they, if they sold the work, they actually got paid as though, you know, they were, they were the artists. And so he, like, got these people more money than they would have gotten before. And now some of them, like, own their own chocolate uh, or cocoa bean farms or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and maybe some of them are even doing making art more often. Uh, but anyway, so it's, like, a questionable thing because it's, like, in the end, like, Renzo Martin is the producer of this work and mm -hmm. it is his artwork so he's like kind of gaining uh notoriety out of 
out like on the backs of others, but he is getting these people money that they wouldn't have seen before. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I've, I don't know. I find those to be really interesting projects. Uh, do you think that that um, do you think that horror in general uh, is often ethically questionable? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like the perverse kind of enjoyment of seeing, I mean, is that For part sure. of kind of the turn on of it is like, I really shouldn't be probably watching this happen to a person. But... I guess so. I guess that is it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's titillating, right? To watch something like that. Yeah. And it's like kind of intense. I mean, I can't, I was, um. Why do you call this podcast humor in the abject? Why do I call it that? Yeah. I think because in, when I first did a class that was called this, and I was trying to figure out a way to talk about comedy or senses of humor that wasn't strictly like just a slapstick kind of thing or wasn't meant to only uh, encompass stand-up, I uh-huh. guess. And so humor in the abject seemed like a way to think about what we find funny or sort of a philosophical take on humor and trying to think about it while acknowledging that so much of comedy is like ethically questionable and like also wades around in notions of the abject whether it's from like potty humor to like just grossness and freak out and there's all this like horror and comedy crossover now yeah. which is really kind of fascinating and both seem like spaces i feel like where people feel a permission to push those boundaries a little bit um oftentimes they do it in a really bad way you know? yeah, but totally. uh, oftentimes when it's done yeah, it well and like smart like you like, could easily cross the line yeah like this set like when does satire get too much and just like you're just no you're just reinforcing the shitty thing that you're like satirizing and that's yeah. a that's a delicate thing to kind of be uh dancing with but i feel like that's there are relationships between horror and comedy where both of those are spaces where people get to push those boundaries and that's part of the attraction of it is and oftentimes i think why maybe we burst out laughing at something that makes us uncomfortable um totally th- that's not dissimilar from feeling a simultaneous kind of like uh, attraction to and repulsion from like a body being ripped up in a horror movie like yeah. these are all these are all like weird psyche things that we kind of have yeah. to confront but yeah i think that's why i was asking about the horror thing is just like part of it is something that is fun and really enjoyable, but it, but it's got this, you know, you have the distance. It's it's cinema, so it's kind of, yeah. you know. My favorite kind of horror movies, and, you know, it's, I guess this relates to that corporeal tragedy line, are, like, the movies where there's something terrible happening that has something to do with a monster or a ghost or whatever, but the real terror is the people just like dealing with the problem. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's why I like Eli Roth. Cause I didn't really like the hostel movies, but he has this movie called cabin. Is it cabin in the woods? Did it's, he do that one? No, not cabin in the woods. I hate that movie. It's a terrible movie. Cabin fever. Oh, cabin, cabin fever. fever. Cabin in the woods is the one that's like, it's the matrix, but it's uh, yeah, in the woods. I hated that movie. Okay. There's that movie. <laughs> but then cabin fever is the one where it's got the kid from a uh, fucking boy meets world in it. Oh really? Ryder Strong. Huh. Yeah, he. I think he's in that. That was the first time I, I think you're that. right. But the, that movie's the like best friend in in Boy Meets World. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. movie's fucked up. Yeah, but so it's about like these um, kids that are in a cabin in the woods, and uh, the water gets contaminated, and they each start getting sick, and they're trying to get away. But really, in the end, like the they they start getting sick, and that's that's the terrifying thing. But then like. 
they start fucking each other over and like hurting each other accidentally trying to deal with the situation. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, it just gets like super campy because it just it, like went over. At first, it was just straight up horror, but it, like the situation just gets so ridiculous, it just becomes funny. Mm -hmm. in the end, you know. Um, and then like also like the thing, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing is maybe my favorite movie yeah. ever. And uh, why? I mean, for the same reason, it's like, is it a movie well, that it's you even can more, watch? it's more, it's more of that than Cabin Fever, obviously, because you don't know who is the thing or not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, everyone is a danger. Yeah. So it's like, I know I, I love movies like that. It's like, there's so much more for you to, for you to think about later because you're like, wow, they left so many things open-ended. Like, I've been watching YouTube videos lately interpreting the last scene because the last scene is Childs, the main character. I think I think his name was Childs. We're and, doing it. We're, I'm, I'm, giving, no, no. I'm giving a plot spoiler warning here oh, for yeah, anybody sorry. who hasn't seen it. So uh, turn, I can't the, turn I this the, off or fast-forward 20 seconds yeah. if you haven't seen it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, don't listen to this part. The last scene is... Maybe it's McGreedy is the is the main character, and then Childs is the other guy who's survived. They've basically burned down the entire camp. They're in the, they're in Antarctica. They're scientists. They've and one of these two people are the thing. Mm -hmm. And I've been watching these YouTube videos, like interpreting this moment because I I never really thought too much about this moment because it just kind of ends at a cliffhanger. They're mm -hmm. both it's these two guys, and they're just sitting there. It's the end, and. You know, they're probably going to die out there because it's Antarctica and they burned down their whole camp. <laughs> but uh, the main character, you know, they're having a conversation. And anyway, the YouTube videos that I've seen interpreting this moment, uh, there, there are many. One of them, uh, like, goes into the fact, if you look at the main character, I think his name is McGreedy, uh, he's breathing re really heavily. Mm -hmm. And because it's, like, really cold there... There's, like, so much mist coming out of his, his mouth. And the other one, there's no mist whatsoever. Mm. And then also... So he's he, a thing. He hands... Uh, the main character hands the other guy a flask. And he drinks it. And then the main character starts laughing. And they had made Molotov cocktails earlier. So some people think that that was actually, actually uh, gasoline mm. or something. Uh you know, they also had a flamethrower. Some people think that was gasoline, and that was why he laughed right after that moment. Anyway, it just kind of ends there. But it seems pretty clear that this this other character was the thing. Uh, but anyway, I like that. I like that there is that uh, mystery there. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's also why that's I find I'm like really interested in Stanley Kubrick's body of work, mm -hmm. for example, because. Of the like mystery and yeah. all the movies that have come well, from it. It sounds like that it. is, I mean, probably consciously, but that's something that you bring into the work that you're making is you want this kind of open ended, mysterious type of thing where people can sort of apply their own meaning. Um, with art objects, of course, you can be much more vague and abstract because it's not meant to get from here to there in 90 minutes or something like that. But yeah. that always, to me, um, I guess it, it's kind of funny because it seems like such a trope of horror movies, but also, um, I guess, part of the reason that they're effective or valuable. But so many of them, you know, it always seems to end with, like, you think things are fine, but then there's, like, one 
loose end over here. Or yeah. One thing. Like the, yeah, that's a good ending. Or like the end of, you know, everything ends up. Like the end of the first season of Stranger Things and the kid goes in the bathroom and he's all safe and everybody's uh, yeah. like, yay. And then he just hawks up like a baby yeah. Demogorgon out of his mouth or, or something the end and of sketches Jackson's into Thriller. <laughs> what happens at the end of Thriller? Uh, everything's fine. He's like leaving the movie theater with uh-huh. his girlfriend and he turns around and his eyes are yellow. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you want to do that with your art? You would want to leave somebody hanging? Um I don't know. I want I want the whole range of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I guess I do want to leave people hanging just be, simply because I um I am interested in like in feeling out like what it is that matters about art. Art, art, you know, art as we know it as like the, an institution, as opposed to like this these pop culture stuff, the things that we're talking about, you know. Do um, you see a difference between them in value for yourself? Hmm. Because I feel like you're. I mean, I'm I'm probably projecting a little bit here, but I feel like you're very skeptical of art too. Like it, you very much enjoy making it, but it seems like you're always a little bit like. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I am because it's like it's it's crazy. I mean, there are some ideas that I have that I really should do in a medium, in a medium as in painting or clay or whatever, but I never do it that way. <laughs> it's always kind of like making a movie set because for some I think that in that way it's it's like I feel like if I if I don't actually uh fully render things um in like some altruistic way then I can just focus on on the kind of cliffhanger idea as the meaning. <laughs> what what do you mean you should do them in these other mediums? Um, like because it would sell better or it would be more recognizable or well, like for instance, it's just I'm just thinking about something that I'm trying to work out in my head right now, actually, uh, for some upcoming shows. Um, basically, I've been thinking about, um, let's say, uh, let's call it documentary photography, like okay. photography of uh, of events that are taking place, like kind of happenstance events. Um, and and like I've been interested, I've been thinking about like faking events like that. And so one of the like options for that is studio photography mixed with uh, CGI. Mm-hmm. And, and the question for me with CGI in order to produce an image is like, how detailed do you need to be in order for it to be enough? You know, like how you mean to be convincing or to be uh, something that someone would want to look at as art? I guess to be to be convincing. Okay, but yeah. then like maybe it doesn't need to be convincing. Um, but uh, yeah, so the so that's like the first problem that I have. And, and then for me, because like, I'm okay with it just being art and not being like a image that fools you, then 
there is no reason why it couldn't just be a painting necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, or because a you... painting has a scale already, you know, it's whatever size you choose. So the resolution is the res is what's right in front of you, sure. you know, and that, but to do it in this, this other way where it like kind of approaches something that maybe could not, could be something that's not art is, uh, is confusing. There are like uh, a lot of, a lot of, possibilities that like maybe don't even matter yeah then, well <laughs> it seems like though a lot of the time that's maybe where some of your ideas are coming from and a lot of it has to do with this kind of fact and fiction going on but i think what's nice about the work is the materiality of it it is when you actually make this physical thing that has a scale and a resolution and is what it is um still a confusing object but it, they don't attempt to depict reality because they're art. And I think that that feels to me like it gives you a lot more wiggle room with kind of the the way that you can screw around with narrative and cliffhangers or what exactly is going on mm -hmm. because it's not meant to be super recognizable, I mm -hmm. feel like, right? Like it's it's confusing on purpose just by its nature. And, yeah. and as soon as you move into something that's very rendered or reflects the real world specifically, it just seems like a different, uh, I don't know, just seems like a different endeavor. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I guess for me, sometimes that feels like it's a, it's a cop out. Cause for, I don't always, uh, it's not always that I'm being confusing or like intentionally being confusing. Sometimes it's just not that trying like, to be obtuse. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's just that like, Maybe it's that I'm I'm afraid of obsolescence. Uh -huh. I'm afraid of a reference that then becomes meaningless okay. later, like sure. after the show, you know? So, like, if I decide on an image, I'll never look it up and then you know, study it. I'll just, like, make my idea of it, mm -hmm. my, like, children's drawing, children's sculpting version of it. Yeah. So I don't – and – because I didn't look it up or, like, didn't really, like, try to make it whatever it was supposed to be, then it becomes something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you don't want to – it sounds like you want the stuff that you make to be its own universe, to be fresh, to be its own thing, and not be hinged on whether it's recognizable as this thing that somebody else understands automatically. Yeah. I mean, that's – it's funny because your work's really figurative – but the figures are kind of terribly confusing. And I'm sorry to keep using that word, but <laughs> I just mean that they, they're perplexing. Yeah. You know, there's something about it that's kind of uncanny. Like oftentimes they'll feel like, I think when I went to your show at Signal, which was 2015, mm -hmm. is that right? There were those kind of like, uh, I guess I want to call them frogs mm -hmm. maybe. And they just, they were really uncanny because I was like, oh, that's the frog from, wait, <laughs> what? Like it, yeah, Did you, that's just a made-up thing, though, right? Like yeah. you just invent. Okay, and I've but just, it like, looks over the last two years since that show went up. I've just like allowed people to call it frogs. I never even like made the deci decision that they were frogs. Well, the funny thing, <laughs> is, but it looked. I just assumed that it was a frog from something. Yeah. It yeah, just yeah. has. It captures enough of the like sort of tropes that I've ingrained, and maybe that's a predictive thing that you were talking about earlier too. Like mm -hmm. that, some of the you are able to. And maybe we didn't hash this out. Um, all the way, but it seems like you're able to pull certain things that cause 
that will predict a viewer's kind of response to it. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that those frogs were from some mass media thing that I should know, and I just couldn't place the reference, mm, which creates a really strange feeling going into the show. And the same thing with, I think there were, like, little ovens yeah. in it, too. Yeah. But well, they were, like, halfway between, like, a kid's, like, an easy-bake oven and a regular oven. And yeah. for some reason, I felt like they they were from something. That, that I guess that's what I'm trying to get at, is a lot of yeah, the time when I look at your sure. work, I feel like huh. things are from something, and they're not. And that's a... I think that's a really good point. I think that's actually something that I have consciously been doing, but I didn't remember to say or think about it. But yeah. (laughs) A fucking breakthrough. No, but for me. (laughs) No, but I think that's that's something that's pretty uh, interesting. And I guess I hadn't, you know, people always talk about the uncanny in art or something, but there's a really specific niche version of it that you work with Mm -hmm. that it's just like, oh, this is from that, but it's not from anything. Yeah. Like those... Even the uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson flowers, like, yeah. they look like they're from something. Yeah. Well, there is in Neil deGrasse Tyson's show, uh, which the I've, Cosmos. I, the Cosmos. <laughs> I've, I've only seen like one or two episodes of it, but it, I'm pretty sure this is from his show. There's some clip where he picks up a dandelion and it has his face on it. And what? It blows, oh, blows okay. So it's it a reference. <laughs> it's, it wasn't a reference, but like oh. I like made the sculpture and then I saw the thing and I was uh. like, yeah, art imitates life or life imitates art. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. It's ridiculous. I love, um. I love watching people drag him on Twitter. He's like really, he seems very, um, he seems like he thinks very highly of himself. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I I don't look at Twitter much, but I mean, you, sh- you should think highly of himself. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think though that he's like he's too pop for the scientists. Yeah. And too sciency for like the pop people. He's like in this weird thing, and it, it's a yeah. You know, he's he's confusing. Yeah, maybe that's what attracts you to him. It, it, maybe you know he spoke at MoMA a couple weeks ago, really or months ago. I was for what? I don't know, but I was. I don't know. Klaus Biesenbach like, and Neil deGrasse Tyson help the like Neil deGrasse Tyson art craze a little bit. <laughs> you want to bring you want to bring him into the fold? Yeah, get him, get him into this world. Um, well, you mentioned that you had some shows coming up. What what should people keep their eyes open for? Oh. And if you can, you know, whatever you can reveal. I know some of it um, might be. Details aren't ironed out yet, but well, yeah, some of some of the details aren't aren't ironed out. But the next thing that I'm excited about it's not exactly a show; it's a it's a booth at Zonamaco Art Fair in Mexico with Michael Asif at Galleria Mos- Mascota, uh, which I'm very excited about. Um, you making new stuff for that? Yeah, that's what I'm working on these event photos for. Do you ever show something more than once? Hardly ever. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I've ever actually seen you. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I might, Maybe I'll show a sculpture for that. Yeah, actually, basically all I have scheduled are art fairs for the next few months. Okay. Which is cool. Uh, this this Mexico fair will be my first fair ever. Nice. Yeah. And, I hope you uh, make some money. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks a lot for coming by, man, and talking about your work and getting weird about horror. It was fun. Yeah, thanks. Um, really fun. And to everybody who's listening, thanks so much. You'll catch me in seven days. Yeah.